Now I'm gonna church another drugs, you bitches. This is Jay in the and, house. And this is Jed. Uh, Jay's sidekick, Jed. Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm Batman and you're Robin, remember that. I'm good. I'm okay with that. Robin's way cooler and everybody knows it. What? Yeah. Toward the end. Like no, like bro. night like Nightwing Robin? Yeah, way fucking cooler than Batman. Alright, whatever you say, nerd. Let's keep going. Yeah, that's fine. I feel like shit. Do you why? Uh well I guess this is day five six? This is day six of uh weaning down off my med. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I was mm-hmm. I was feeling mm-hmm. great about it uh, Friday. So yesterday I like halved the dose again, and then this morning I woke up and like I had like nightmares all night, like sweating Whoa. like crazy. And then I woke up and like I like it literally my vision was like I had, I was like seriously drunk and I had the spins. Damn, it was fucking dog. awful. Yeah, dude, it was awful. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, and then I had to play at church this morning, so I just like had to. I went back to my other dose, and it was like hard to drive this morning and shit. Weird. And I was like, "Damn, this is really gonna suck more than I thought it was." Yeah, for sure. So now I've still got like cold sweats, and I basically just feel like I'm fucking opiate withdrawing, which is super annoying. Really? Yeah. What dude. kind of meds? Are- is it that you're withdrawing like that? I thought it's not like an SSRI or something. What are, what are you yeah, talking? Yeah, it what is. is it? it is an SSRI. And it's that gnar. It's that gnarly coming off of people. Those yeah, dude. That's what was super aggravating is people don't understand how horrendous coming off of psychiatric medication is. Like, it's. I didn't it's know a, it's that it's a, bad with SSRIs for sure. Yeah, dude. It's a it's a big deal. Especially, I mean, I've been on it for almost four years too. So, I mean, it's. Yeah, true dad. It's gonna suck. Yeah, yeah, it is. I wish I could do that uh, uh, detox where they just put you under for a week. You should probably just like pray harder. I have or... been. You 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 joke. <laughs> you joke, but I have been, bro. Because obviously, man ain't gonna do shit for this. You're not praying hard enough, then. I guess. Because... Dude, I about had it with your lack of faith. I'm saying, I about had it with your lack of faith. I have more f- faith than Hill. That was weak. <laughs> that was weak. It's because I'm operating. Like it's because I'm firing you do on like, feel like shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm firing on one uh, cylinder, basically. You can do better, bro. I know I can, but fuck, dude. This is. I have Weak. more faith than hell. Uh, so what else is going on, dude? I, I don't mean, know, dude. Say I, something. It's your podcast, too. I'm saying something. I, uh, it was my wife and I's anniversary last night. So, um, <laughs> have you ever seen or heard Avenue Q, the musical? Uh, I'm afraid not. Puppets are fucking hilarious, I have to say. Oh, it's like a like uh, Muppet puppets it's like it's like uh like, sesame street for adults okay like the puppet show in forgetting sarah marshall at the very end Kinda exactly like, okay. but like but dirty and raunchy and really funny oh, but yeah cool. exactly like that show nice yeah it's awesome so that's what y'all did for your anniversary that's right okay that's cool. that and a steak dinner is nice 
did anything come with that steak dinner? Like what sides did I order? What are you talking about? Resume. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, because because uh, uh, there was that strip club in um, South Carolina that offered um, steak and a lap dance like for lunch. It was what? like a lunch special. Is that the one that our boy worked at? Who? Remember when Titty worked at the strip club? Oh, I, I forgot about that. For like a long time. I completely forgot about that. What did he do? He was a bouncer? Yeah, he was a bouncer. <laughs> I can see that. Totally. I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. He's um, like the most... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's yeah. A, he, in retrospect, he's one of the most stereo... I could see, like, if you were like, strip club bouncer, I'd be like, oh yeah, probably someone that resembles him at that time. It looks like him, for sure. Looks, yes. But he... He's such a nice dude. Right, it's yeah. Like, as far as personality, it couldn't be, be far. Yeah. yeah, I could see him be like, hey, man, could you please just like hey, leave? You go, Would you man. mind just getting out of here? <laughs> if it's not too much trouble, if, can you go, please? You know, I mean, if you can't, that's cool. But like, you know, just keep it down. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so I, I got to find a, I gotta find an example to properly... I, I think I've said it before, but it's just I still... I hate it. It's so stupid. Uh, hey. Yeah, that was, you know, <laughs> good one. That was, um, it was decent to okay. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. Uh, all right, let's find it. Um, motivational posts. All right. Or not motivational, but like, here it is. Okay. Hit me. I'm coming for it. All right, this is like an Instagram picture of like, oh, uh, you know, like a gym picture or something. I'm coming <laughs> for everything you tried to fucking deny me because of my problems, dot, dot. Guess what? Question mark. I turned them into motivation. Now we really going to see who has the juice. And then a bunch of fucking emoticons. What? You never seen like posts like that where people are like, Turn your turn all your haters into like motivation, cause guess what? I'm gonna be 100 on top this coming year. Like yeah, and then emoticons. Yeah, so stupid, that. dude. It's so stupid. This dude's like 30. <laughs> this dude is like You're 36 so years old, bro. Cause it's the dumbest shit in the world. It's so mad. It's dumb, um, dude. You <laughs> <laughs> get so upset. Uh, I have seen that, and I just think those people are dumb. I agree, it's dumb. <sighs> I'll, I'll go ahead, maybe because you know some of our listeners might know that that was from Johnny Craig's Instagram account, which from the band Slaves, and he was a drug addict. I would love to get him on, actually. He was mm-hmm. a he was he's this like infamous drug addict musician. Um, oh, right on. Who got infamous because he scammed all his fans by like selling multiple people his MacBook and then not giving it to any of them for drugs, like. Like he posted, Whoa. It. yeah, it was a huge deal back in the day. That's funny, isn't it though? Like he made like eight grand off of his fans and didn't even give it to anyone. <laughs> That's a come up, dog. Right. Anyway, yeah, sure. I think uh, you know, um, man, I just came from a super spiritual. I see it's medicine, dude. This is this is not me. This is not me, baby. I just came from a super spiritual like church experience too. Uh-huh. Was it good? You it was it? really good. Well, I played this morning and so we ha- yeah. we've been having a we have a rotating so since my pastor had a stroke, he does he can't lead worship right now. Um, pastor had a stroke? I didn't know I that. I told you about that. 
No, because then you were like, "Yeah, nicotine will give you a stroke," and I went through that period of th- oh, thinking I was right. gonna die. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, Nicotine will give you a stroke. Right, and I'm going to die. It's still true. You're so, probably going to die. Um, so we have a rotating guest, uh, worship leaders, basically. Oh, cool. And uh, we had just this killer lady named Kinetra, um, who was like super... She sounds like an X-Men. That's true, huh? She Kinetra, sounds like a superhero. Kinetra. Kinetra? She's yeah. definitely a superhero. Well, she was, dude. She fucking That's killed it. Killed it. Uh, it was just me, her, and Steven, our, our our pianist. And it was. Did just, she kill it because she got bit by a radioactive insect when she was twelve she years got, old? She got she uh, got she got bit by a radioactive choir member when she was younger <laughs> and was given the voice of Adonis. The voice of an angel. The voice of an angel. Like, you know, the band Pentatonix? Pentatonix? Pentatonix. So you're familiar. Yes. That's her. All three of them. She's, uh, I think that there's like more than three, but she's all of them at the same time. She's all of them. Like literally. I could get that. That's some superhero shit. She wears costumes. Is she super fast? Is that her superpower? How does she do all four of them? She's incredibly fast. Is she really fast or does she duplicate herself? All of the above. Whatever you're going to say, yes. A, B, and C. Yep. Is it, it. Yeah. A, B, C, D, A, and B, C, and D, <laughs> E, none of the above. All, all except E. Yeah. A, uh, a after I, except after E. Wow, wait, <laughs> that's not it at all, dude. I'm dead. What is it? What's it's the thing? Close. I don't know, dude. Wait, you're, yeah. on, you're on one today, man. All right. Well, then let, the intro's done. Let's go to the, you know. Welcome, you know. Let's welcome get to, to Church it. and Other Drugs. My name's Jed. Is that what we're doing? Am I right? (laughs) This is weird. Uh, Nashville. I'm in oh, Nashville. Okay. That's yeah. where that's where everybody lives now. That's like the new cool place to be. Man, we settled here about nine nine and a half years ago, and it's definitely picked up. It has definitely picked up since we got here. Yeah, which uh do you go to church out there? Yeah, we go to Rolling Hills. Rolling Hills Community Church. It's in Franklin, so Franklin's just uh south of Nashville. Yeah, that's where. Have you ever heard of the band Emery by chance, or uh, like the Bad Christian podcast? 
No, I'm not familiar with them. Okay, they yeah, one of the Emory. Emory sounds familiar. Yeah, they live out there in Franklin. Yeah, dude, there's a lot of people out there in Frank Franklin and Brentwood is where a lot of the musicians live. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in San Antonio. Oh, okay, that's closer to me. I'm yeah. in Louisiana. I'm from South Carolina, but I moved out to Louisiana to go to rehab in 2005, and then just never left. So nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. I had, uh, yeah, born and raised San Antonio, so I'm a Texas boy at heart. So, how did you, so how did a San Antonio boy wind up in, in Tinseltown? So, yeah, man, you want to dive into my story? Yeah, man, um, it's, from what I read, it's a a good one and a full one, so let's just go ahead and get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. So, uh, John Mabry, I work with Addiction Campuses out of Nashville here. I'm our uh, director of public outreach. Um, I'm a host of our uh, high sobriety podcast, and I manage our drug-free workplace program, which is a really cool program. I just got to give it a, a little plug. Um, companies, businesses that want to uh, provide a little more education to their employees, uh, they bring me in. I share my story, kind of do a little song and dance up on up on stage. Right. Got some slides, you know, do a little slideshow of, of me in Hollywood doing the acting thing. Get, get people's attention, letting people know that, hey, man, addiction doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, what your, you know, uh, what what color your skin is, what religion you are. Addiction, you know, hits us all. And so I'm just, uh, I always thought it was somebody else. I always thought it was somebody living under a bridge. And yeah, the classic somebody that just made bad decisions. Yeah, it's like, man, they made bad decisions. They screwed up. It's their fault. Th- they should suffer. Yeah. Until it happened to me, you know, and then it's like, oh, wait. Hold yeah. on, they they just got dealt a bad hand. Something something happened in their life that was traumatic, and come to find out, they they didn't actually ask for this in their life. No, <laughs> it's not that's something they signed up for. So, um, so I, I come in and do a little do a little uh, spiel about my story, and then then we get to lay out some great education uh, for folks, for business owners, uh, for HR managers, and employees. And, and the hope is to, to save lives and to get people to call in, to get people to reach out for help, that it's okay to, to reach out for help. Yeah. And um, so so that's where I'm at with uh, addiction campuses. I'm uh, a little over two years sober, and it's my longest uh, bout of sobriety, so I'm so grateful for that. Nice. But okay, is, so yeah. When's your uh, birthday? Um, it is December 22nd, 2015. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, man. It's not been a, a easy road and not been very fun, but it has been worth it. It's been 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 worth the the struggle to to get where we are today. Yeah. And when, so, go ahead. When did you start trying to get sober? So I started when I got fired by Dave Ramsey, and <laughs> we we can go back and unpack this a little bit, but to kind of touch on it since you asked. I got fired by, by Dave Ramsey, radio, you know, personality, got syndicated radio show, get people out of debt, total money makeover. You know, when people when people finally clear out their debt, they're like, you know, you know, freedom. They call into his radio show and they're like, freedom. <laughs> you know, great Christian environment. I thought moving to Nashville from from LA after uh, experiencing some some highs and, and lows out out in LA. Uh, I thought moving out here to, to Nashville was going to be a, a nice change of pace, and and I found myself working for Dave Ramsey, which is really hard to get into, man. It's it's a hard. Uh, yeah, I would day. imagine so. He doesn't joke around, man. It was seven interviews over four and a half months. Yo. I mean, spousal interview, 
So I had to go. I had all these interviews set up, and they space them out on purpose. They want to see that you're in it for the long haul. That are you going to be a part of the? Fa- are you a good fit for the family? You know, this is his baby. This Whoa. is his. You know, and if on one side it's kind of a cult, and on another, <laughs> on the other side, on the other side, this is his thing. This, you know, he. Yeah, sure. This, this is his ideas and his, you know, property and his intellect. And he can run it however he wants. And if you want to, you know, drink from the water, you can. And if you don't, then you don't have to be a part of it. But I, I thought it would be a, a an, an encouraging environment for me, um, coming out of uh, uh, addiction uh, over a decade of, of addiction, and and I end up getting getting called into his office and got fired um, as a direct result of my drinking and and uh, prescription pill abuse on the job. And that was the first time in 2011 when I raised my hand and said, man, this is, this thing's bigger than me. I, I need help. Yeah. So, yeah. So it took you a good minute to, yeah, I say that cause I, I've been, I tried, man, I guess starting really, I think I went to my first outpatient in like 2003 and then I got sober in 2014 finally, or it finally stuck since then. So yeah, I totally relate to the struggle. Yeah, man. And you know, let, I, I love to let people know, Every time you go and get help somewhere, it you know you pick something up and you learn something from it, and you yes. take that and you build upon it. Yes, you know you don't go into the gym and work out and you do you know bench press one time, and you know or you do you know a set of bench for you know five reps, and then all of a sudden you're you're ripped, right. you know you're buff, man. like yeah man, I walk out like I've got it all together. No man, you got to keep coming back and keep coming back, and you're gonna and you you push yourself until you fail. And you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to do what you thought you did, you know, what you set out to do. Just get back on and don't give up, man. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's the thing is just keep going. That's the Go hardest thing, too. It is. That's a, right. It is shameful to walk back in those doors. But and the, the same thing, though, everyone's always happy to see you. And it's all built up in your head that like, oh, everyone's going to be so disappointed. Like, no, they're not. We're just happy to see you. They're disappointed if you don't come back. You know? Yes. There you go. Yeah. Disappointed so. if they don't see you again because they may not. You may not see them again. You yeah, know, that's, I mean? and that's unfortunately that's what's been happening a lot lately, especially in Louisiana. I'm, well, everywhere, but it's been hitting us hard, hitting us close too. Um, yeah, there's a lot of overdoses this year. Mm-hmm. And I would love to. T- I want to touch on that after after a little while of um, when I go and, and give talks around the country. Touch on um, what the real cause of addiction is, and it's a, a, a theory you may have heard of. Have you seen the Rat Park video? I have. Okay. Do you I've subscribe got... to that at all, uh, dude? I had. Well, so be honest. I want just give me your honest. I, it, at first, it really pissed me off, and then I was like, okay, I get. I don't know. I go back and forth. The thing is that, that I think still. Now, this is what I heard. I never did. I was just like, that sounds about right. But I heard that even still. So the people that don't know, it's basically the these rats. They've got them addicted to drugs, like isolated. And then they put them in this like rat heaven area. And they were less prone to do drugs. That's a very basic version of it. Yeah. So you're in a cage by yourself. You're going to drink uh, water laced with heroin or cocaine because you're alone. You're isolated. Yeah. You're going to overdose every time. The rat overdoses. Then you put them in a cage with a bunch of other rats and a bunch of balls and, and tunnels to scamper down. And then, so they're in a community, and none of them ever used compulsively, none of them ever overdosed and died. For sure. For sure. So, I had heard, though, that there was 10% still in the rat heaven that still decided to use and they died. 
that I have not. So I was like, well, okay. I was talking with that. I don't know if that's verified though. Um, but that's the thing is like, I, I, I can kind of subscribe to it, but I have been in rat heaven and I still used. So sure. You know, so I, I think it's, I, I like the idea. I think it's, sometimes dangerous because there's obviously there's different levels of drug addict there's different levels of alcoholic like i was late stage off the gate so to tell some people that all you have to do is arrange your life in such a way that external things can fix it i feel like that's dangerous well here's here's what i think the my um takeaway is is it's a spiritual connection it's a disconnect it's not necessarily a disconnect from uh, community as much at, or a job. You know, if you're disconnected from, say, say you went through some trauma or say you went through uh, a divorce or say you went through, you, you lost all your finances, you gambled all that away. And that's, and now you're disconnected. Now you're, now you're using and abusing um, or you're sexually abused or, or verbally or, 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 you know, emotionally abused. So there's some disconnect. Um, it may, you may be connected in a group of like a support group and mm-hmm. a 12 step in a 12 step room. You may be into the 12 step thing and that's working or celebrate recovery, but you still may be using, but I think it comes down to your personal connection with the spiritual power. And that's, that's where, that's where for me, where it hits home yes. is it's, it's, it's that spiritual disconnect. I can totally agree with that. And then once, once you align yourself with that spiritual connection that works, you know, um, for you in my opinion, then that's where the healing is found. Yeah, absolutely. And then it, and then well, it, and what, uh, what tripped me up for a while though, was that, and that's sort of kind of, this was part of the impetus in starting the podcast we do was that like, I tried to do the, like pray it away and lay hands. And I thought it was just something that would have to be removed, but I didn't really understand that it had to be maintained. If going back to the gym allegory, like if I just started eating like crap again, you know, then, so I got really confused. Like, well, God, what, you know, why are you not enough to heal this when it just took me a while to learn? Like I am, but you have to do stuff. Yes. Yeah. Like I, uh, I use the analogy, like every day I wake up with, uh, with a hole in my soul and I believe God designed me to need to fill that with his goodness and his glory and his grace and his mercy. And through, um, you know, meditation, prayer, daily devotionals, connecting with other people in recovery, you know, these types of things. But every day I wake up with a hole in my soul and I'm going to fill it with something. Yeah. I'm gonna either going to fill it with crap. I'm going to fill it with crap. I'm going to fill it with food or porn or sex or you know, shopping or, you know, Amazon prime, I'm going to fill with something. <laughs> Amazon prime. <laughs> you know? It's so easy now. Oh yeah. Dude. Drones just come in and poosh, drop yeah. what you need. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, dang, we got some good stuff. Well, let's, so yeah, let, let's tell the audience, uh, let's go. Is that cool for going to kind of tell, tell yeah, a little man. bit about my story? Take it away. All right, guys, we're going to be talking about losing limbs. We're going to be talking about people dying we're going to be talking about seeing things that people shouldn't see, but we're also going to be talking about hope. And oh. in my story's got got grace and mercy and hope and 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 joy. And um, oh, they're they're well versed in the uh, in the dark side as well. So you're good. All right, cool. So I grew go. up. So a little bit about me. Grew up, born and raised in San Antonio. Had a, a wonderful family, wonderful support group. 
Baptist pre my, my grandfather was personal friends with Billy Graham when Billy Graham was up and coming in the sixties and seventies. I mean, we go way back and, and honestly, I think that <laughs> that had like a, a lasting negative effect on me in that I always felt like I was better than other people. Cause mm. it's kind of like one, I'm in the church and like, okay, I've got it all together. My oh, grandfather's yeah. uh, kind of, kind of semi-famous and uh, he knows Billy Graham. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, the, if you know the evangelical Pope. Yeah, exactly. If you, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like somebody in Hollywood, if they know, you know, Steven Spielberg or George Lucas, exactly. it's like, yeah. man, I'm personal friends with George Lucas. It's like, man, I have, I'm there. Yeah. And so I had this kind of chip on my shoulder growing up that I, I, I saw play out later on. Um, but so anyway, so born and raised Southern Baptist, uh, great church, great family, and everything was easy. Everything was smooth. Everything was so I thought. And it wasn't until later on I realized that I had, so I had some ear surgeries as a kid. Nobody did anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. We just had some infections that ended up kind of um, going deep into the ear. And I had from age six to 15, I had six ear surgeries. And I end up having a transplanted Ooh. eardrum in my left ear. So I have somebody else's body part in my head. And Whoa. the three bones in my, in my left ear are prosthetic bones. And so I had to fly out of state for this surgery. I'm going to fly for, uh, to Oklahoma. And I had this specialist who had, had invented the prosthesis at that time, put them in. And I had no idea the, the massive effects of that trauma, of those traumatic events, how they would play out later on in my life. So you're getting, you're getting pain medicine also, right? Well, or, as a kid, no, not really. Like, really? I, yeah, I mean, it, well, if I did, I, I don't remember. It, okay. it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. That, it really didn't affect me. Okay. okay. I, pain medicine wasn't, wasn't a deal for me growing, growing up. So between the ages of 6 and 15, I had these ear surgeries. I had you know, scars behind my ear. I felt, but here's what happened is it set in that I, and I found this out decades later working with the trauma therapist that from an early age i felt different i felt defective i felt insecure i felt broken something's wrong with me man i'm i'm unfixable there's something wrong in my head so bad that they had to put other people's body parts in my head you know yeah. and so to a little kid it was like that's heavy wheeling. for a little kid I mean, sure. it was like it was like sending me to mars and having aliens probe into my brain and yeah. that's what that's what it felt like internally to me it's like i am just a freak show huh. and nobody ever knew it i didn't even know it Were you... so no go ahead so that's the kind of sets the stage of i thought i had this great childhood everything was fine hunky dory and i was the class clown and i was mr personality and i was you know mr social socialite and i was you know all over the place in high school and senior year in high school, I get at prom, I get named class clown, most outgoing, most school spirited, and best personality. I get these superlatives, and I'm going, yeah, man. I was like celebrating, like, look at me. And this trauma therapist pointed out, you know, years later going, the reason you did that is because early on you felt so defective, so broken, so insecure, so neurotic, so, you know, I'm not good enough. Nobody's yeah. going to like if they really knew what was going on inside, they wouldn't like me because I didn't like myself. Yeah, I felt the same way. Right. So, um, but everything was hunky dory on the surface. And everything. I didn't have any uh, addiction problems in, in middle school, high school. Everything was fine. And I get off. I go off to college, and I started drinking, doing the frat thing. 
um, life was manageable. I was doing a normal fraternity, drinking four, five, six times, you know, six nights a week, you know, pretty heavy, a lot of nights, but life was manageable. Grades were, uh, you know, grades were average. Grades. Yeah. You know, grades are great. I got, you know, graduated uh, communications with a 3.3 grade point average. You know, so it, was, it was, you know, good enough. And, but my senior year, man, I had built up this life on the outside that was, felt perfect and felt right at, right where it should be. So I go into senior year, I or had earned a full ride scholarship. I'm at Baylor University, private Baptist University, where my parents went to school, where my cousin was going to school, my aunt and uncles went to school there, <clears throat> and I'm dating the uh, cheerleader who is our fraternity sweetheart, I'm social chair of our fraternity, everything was, I mean, I had the same scholarship the athletes got, so I felt like an athlete. Inside, I felt like, man, I've arrived, because I was doing video work, I was doing video for the athletic video staff, so... I was traveling with the team, with the football team. I was going to Notre Dame. And I was going to these, you know, cool stadiums, and getting to throw the ball around and and hear Mike Singletary give a pregame speech in the locker room. He's a Baylor grad, and so I'm feeling like an athlete with a. I got the same scholarship that they got, and I'm I'm just, oh my gosh, couldn't have been going any better. And I set up this cruise out of New Orleans, and for uh, spring break, and March 11th, 2000, we just had the anniversary. March 11, 2000, we're driving back from New Orleans. Nobody was drinking or driving. Nobody was doing anything wrong. There's four of us in, in a friend's car, and uh, tire blows out. Tire blows out in this car, and my world got flipped upside down, literally and figuratively. Witness reports say we rolled. As the tire blows out, we rolled across the interstate on I-45 outside of Houston, we rolled anywhere between six and 12 times with the witness report say Jeez. And somehow my legs got out the window and we're rolling and I see it happening. I'm trying to pull my legs in with all my might. I'm going, Oh my God, and my life, you know, everything just slows down. Time just, just warps and you're in this like warp mode going, Oh my gosh, this is the end. And I, I told myself in that moment, this is it. I'm going to die in this moment. And we come to a stop upside down. We land upside down in the car. It's just complete silence. And I'm thinking, this thing's about to blow up. This thing will blow up any second, because that's what happens in the movies. Yeah, sure. Car right. rolls, Instant car explosion. Rolls <laughs> Instant explosion. That's exactly, you know, back to my, you know, MacGyver and, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. In the 80s, you know, I mean, it's like anytime any kind of car rolls in any movie, it blows up. Got to get out. So I looked down to try to stand up and my foot my right foot had wrapped around like it was just hanging on by some fibers and i could oh, see the bottom um, and i threw myself out of the car and i pulled myself away and i look back and I, just exhausted from from that and i look back and all three of my friends are still in the car and i was like man if this thing blows up and they're in there and i'm sitting out here doing nothing like i wouldn't be able to live with myself so i crawl back in Got on my hands and knees, crawled in. I'm dragging this foot. I'm dragging this like just foot that's just hanging oh. on, hanging on the the end of my end of my shin, really, and just picking up all this dirt and grass and gravel. And I get one friend out, and two friends are uh, up front. Kind of uh, one was pinned in, and her boyfriend was was tending to her. And what ended up happening is they they had to cut the driver out with the with the jaws of life. Her mm -hmm. name was Ashley Berman, and she passed away. 
um, in the helicopter. They landed a helicopter on this side of the interstate and, and flew her off and that she didn't make it to the hospital, unfortunately. And so she passed away uh, on March 11, 2000. And I got uh, shipped off to uh, near closest hospital, kind of stabilized, and then they shipped me to a regional hospital at College Station, where I had my first several initial surgeries. And ended up over the course of a year, the course of uh, March 2000 to March 2001, I had 14 surgeries. Um, not all, uh, not all were cut and cut and paste, but there were some pretty heavy ones. I was in ICU. They they took one of my abdominal muscles out, and they had to hey. fill this had a hole in the side of my foot that was just really gnarly, and so they had to fill this hole with something or either amputate. And so they took one of my abdominal muscles out, and they took skin off my hip, and they they attached the muscle into the foot, and they took skin and stapled it. I mean, just like stapled the skin over that. And when they took the cast off the first that first time in ICU after like three or four days, I mean, I just I just came to tears. Oh, I'm sure. It's like a piece of hamburger meat. I mean, it really like just imagine hamburger meat and they slap it on the side of your foot. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and so, um, it was pretty pretty bad, man. So over the course of the year, we ended up having you know going in for surgeries for nerve blocks and trying to block the pain. And I got the painkillers, and that's was kind of the. Be- the beginning of the end for, for me. Oh man. So you take what I had as a trauma as a kid. I had these surgeries as a kid and I already felt defective and broken and, and insecure and I'm, I'm unfixable. And then you take this and you add that where the, the mental anguish of, I thought I was going to die. And then you cut my leg off, which is what I ended up doing, um, a year and two weeks after my accident and ended up just, deciding just, to just go ahead and amputate. Oh, okay. Cause uh, it just like wasn't taking or so, it was yeah, infections kept coming back all that. It was so contaminated from the side of the accident from me dragging the foot back and forth, getting in and out of the car. It was just so contaminated. The infections just kept coming back and they wanted to do bone graft, take bone out of my hip and they were going to fuse my ankle. So I was going to have a pronounced limp the rest of my life. And here I am this, you know, 22, 23 year old active kid trying to, trying to graduate college. I'm trying to finish school, having to go back and forth from my parents' house in San Antonio to Waco, this, this constant all year long, this battle. And it was such a grind, but the painkillers, I was able to get through it with the painkillers and, oh, yeah, and they, sure. the alcohol. it's like, you know, th- that, that'll get me through. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up deciding to go ahead and, and make, make that that tough decision to amputate. And I'm glad I did because it was the better decision for me physically uh, for me to be able to have a better quality of life, but uh, mentally, emotionally, I never really dealt with it. And so I just hit the ground running. It was all about, let me show people what I got. Let me show people what I can do. And here's what, here's what, what really hurt me is a therapist. When I told a therapist one time, I said, you know, from the day the accident happened, I had people telling me, well, if it's going to happen to somebody, good thing it happened to John because he can handle it. And I never realized it, but there was this expectation that is like, oh, John's supposed to be able to handle this kind of thing. Yeah. This thing is life changing, man. This thing is way too heavy, you know. But but there was this expectation that, oh man, he can handle it. It's, it's John. He'll he'll you know he'll laugh his way through it. He'll make people laugh through it. And so I was kind of I was like managing people's feelings around me. I was managing my parents and trying to manage what people thought of me. You know, trying to play the um, the the director. You know, mm-hmm. and then the big. We're, we're trying to play the director. Let me just uh, let everybody 
uh, think that I'm okay and, and let me try to um, be who you want me to be. And that got, um, that just progressed and got, got worse and worse over time, of course. Um, but after, after my amputation, I graduated, I walked stage six weeks later, I got my diploma. So proud. Grandma was there, aunt and uncle, cousins, the whole family is there. John's graduating. He just has leg amputated. And I just signed a multi-million dollar settlement, um, for my car accident. Oh, oh. snap. So I don't always I don't always tell this part of the story, and I've I've been starting to talk about it more lately. So it's therapeutic for me, I think, to be able to get this out because it's been uh, you know bad decisions were made, poor decisions, poor investments, and things were made over uh, hey, my. Hey, I can tell you some story about some yeah, right. Yes. So that's your so so far you're checking the boxes of my addict. Uh dream list right i used to so i was such a i was like i was a self-injurer i was such a bad heroin and opiate addict you know i I set my hand on fire down to the bone to go like emergency room shopping i would hit my wrist with baseball bats and um so i was really i was like man i really wish i had like i mean this is so maybe you can relate to the thinking but i used to wish for a terminal illness or like a, a like an MRI injury so that I could just get doctor pills for life and that would just be it. Yes. So, so I had a permanent physical disability with chronic pain, yeah. having a prosthetic leg and then uh, I had a bank account, you know, se- yeah. seamlessly, you know, I- endless bank account. Um, my car accident was a result of Firestone Ford Explorer, uh, debacle where back in 2000, uh, the they, tire, I remember that. Yeah. The tread separating off the tires. So we were part of that. Yeah. So the day before I walked the stage to get my diploma, hopped up on painkillers and alcohol, I signed my settlement papers. I must, you so must have been so happy. <laughs> so listen, man. So I, so I already felt like an athlete. You know, I had, I had that oh, full ride scholarship I was telling you about. Well, here I am. I felt like signing day. I felt yeah, like you got my your signing career. bonus. I got my signing bonus. I'm an athlete. People are going to know me. I'm in the media, you know, people were coming out and doing stories on me and I was moving and shaking and thought I had it all together and I was hitting the real world coming out of college completely unaware of the dangers that I was walking right into. Right. Alcohol. Uh, then I couldn't focus. I I graduate. I moved to Dallas for a year to uh, try to work a normal job that I had interviewed for and, and, and gotten and landed right out of college and I was there a couple of months and I was like, dude, I don't need this thing. I just, I don't yeah. need a job. How did you even, that's what, that's, Why yeah, do I it need would to- be so tempting to like the first time my boss would say anything. I'd be like, that yeah, quit. Exactly. Don't need man. you. <laughs> well, and dude, I mean, I haven't, I don't talk about that. I haven't, I haven't talked about this. I don't maybe publicly once, but I was training for this job and they flew me out to Delaware to train. And as I'm supposed to be coming back to Dallas, to start my new job out of college, I was, I was driving down, I was driving back to Philly in my rent car and I was so hungover. I was so loaded that I had been drinking so much at this, in, in my uh, hotel room by myself that I had to pull over on the side of the road and call 911 and was like, man, I, I, I don't know where I am. I don't, I don't know what I'm, I, I shouldn't be driving. And they're like, we're sending an ambulance. So they sent an ambulance, and I had to leave my rent car on the side of the road. And they take me to the hospital, and I was just completely dehydrated. 
And I just had this kind of effort attitude, you know, it was just like, man, don't tell me what to do. I've been through stuff. Yeah. I've been through, I've been through a bunch of surgeries. I got other people's body parts in my head. They took my abdominal muscle out. They cut my leg off. Give me some painkillers and in my checkbook and my credit card and I'm fine. Get out yeah. of my way. That was the attitude I had and it was bad. So that was kind of the start of my kind of business career was I, I couldn't even start on day one because I was holed up in a hospital in Philadelphia by myself in this like nasty, like cold room. And, they, you know, they do, they could just like smell it on me, you know, and they just like oh, yeah. threw me in this hole and it's like holding cell. And, um, so I, they just pumped me, pumped me full, a uh, bunch of IV and, and fluids and sent me on my way like the next day. But, uh, so I just had this attitude of just F it. But in my heart, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to help people. I really did. You know, I had a, I had a good, good family that, that raised me right. And, and yeah. giving back to people. Most so, of us are very em- empathetic and, uh, sensitive to other people. And yeah. So I said, I'm going to take this experience that I went through and I'm going to go try to help other people. So I moved out to San Diego to work on a master's in counseling. I found this, this counseling program that helps deal, helps with, uh, get people with disabilities back to work. Oh, okay. And so I, I felt like it was kind of part of my, my journey that I needed to take. And I could have gone to Boston. Um, I interviewed at Boston and San Diego and it was either Boston to go live with, live with my brother who was, who had become my best friend after my accident. We, we were, we were kind of a, estranged growing up even though we lived in the same house and we had a good upbringing we were just always separate from each other and we just never really clicked but once my accident happened man we were best friends and so that was just a a godsend and my brother was trying to get me out to boston he's like dude come out come out and i was like man ah, san diego stuff to get (laughs) tough to to say no to so i move out to san diego i get a condo on the bay i'm living it up and uh I get married uh, to a girl that I knew at Baylor. She moves out, and I'm working for a, a nonprofit organization, get raising money for people with physical disabilities, getting them access to sports. Uh, it's an organization called the Challenge Athletes Foundation. We were we were doing some great work with that organization, but all along, underneath the surface, man, I was just I was just, uh, you know, self medicating, and I was functional. I was able to maintain my you know work responsibilities and my school responsibilities but relationships were falling apart my wife we you know that wasn't going real well having been a newlywed and and uh taking a bunch of pills that she didn't know that i was taking and just being erratic behavior and do you, so do you, did you basically have like a, a lifelong prescription like what were they giving you like what, are, what are pretty they much that sort of well, case? Then, well yeah so I, and then i would shoot down to tijuana mm. um mm shoot down to Tijuana and buy pain pills when I when I ran out, and then if I ran out, I get marijuana because I had a marijuana pres- I had a prescription for marijuana that was easy with PTSD. I could I could get that. Then uh, I couldn't focus, so I'm going to the doctor and getting Adderall. Oh, of course. And I switched doctors, and this was a bad this this was bad. I was taking uh, ten milligrams three times a day of Adderall, and I switched doctors, and he read the prescription thirty milligrams three times a day. So it tripled my prescription overnight. And I was like, boom. <laughs> All right, sweet jackpot. Out the races. So between painkillers that I was getting from my doctor, from Tijuana, from Adderall to marijuana to the alcohol, that was pretty much my cocktail of, you know, I had some of that going on underneath the system most of the time. 
and I get to the end of this grad school program in 2005 and I'm going, man, how am I supposed to go help other people? <laughs> like I was really just like diverting, really looking at my own stuff. Let me go help somebody else out with their problem. I was really good therapist. You know, I would have been a great counselor. I was like, there's no way I can go help anybody else. Like I'll go listen to other people's problems all day long just so I don't have to look at my own. Yep. But I can't, yep. I can't really go do this in, in like real time, like real life setting. And I was just terrified. And I just had the perfect distraction. The perfect distraction, what every kid, what I wanted to do when I grew up was go to Hollywood, right? Who doesn't want to go to Hollywood and get blown up and work on sets and just get kicked around with blood and guts and, and you know, <laughs> do some stunts. And so I got a call from my cousin who's an actor. He's on the show, uh, The Arrangement on E. Mm-hmm. So they just started season two on Sunday, this past Sunday. So tune in to uh, his name's Josh Henderson. And so he was kind of up and coming at the time. And he goes, man, I'm going to, uh, I got this role in this show called over there. And again, this is uh, this is on FX in 2005. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to get my, my right leg blown off in this uh, dramatic scene at the end of the first episode. Could you take me through what you went through in your car accident and help me connect with my character? And I was like, sure, man. You know, he said, you lost your leg on a, kind of a roadside accident. I'm losing my leg roadside bomb. And one thing led to another. They hired me on for his uh, his uh, body double, really. Oh, um, awesome. And so it was a uh, on paper. It was I was technical consultant. I was the technical consultant for the amputee part. And I was like, this is a nice gig, man. Yeah. So I got hired on. I got to be on set, and got hired on for the series. And I didn't have to memorize lines. I didn't have to do any hard work. I mean, we would do some running scenes or something, and they would show my leg and. And, you know, in place of his leg, and it was like easy work. And so I got my SAG card. I immediately got, you know, became a member of Screen Actors Guild uh, very quickly. And it was just kind of handed to me, just like everything else in my life was just freaking handed to me. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I don't need to go help people. I can't help people. I can't help myself. I'm going to move to LA. So I dragged my wife, kicking and screaming. I said, we rented a U Haul. We bought a condo in LA. We got a condo in San Diego. We got money to fall back on. Doesn't matter if I get an acting job or not. Doesn't matter because I got money in the bank. I, we can put food on the table, and we can hang out with stars. And this, this is a great lifestyle. But when you're, you're up and coming alcoholic and addict, it's a terrible way to live. <laughs> it's oh, a terrible. Yeah. Way to be. Oh yeah. You know, it's lonely. It's isolating. It's it's uh, you know, everybody's out for themselves. Everybody wants to use you everybody everybody you know nobody's really cares about you right and so so here i am in this industry i'm putting i'm trying to put myself out in this industry as an as an actor so i get an agent and i've taken acting classes i'm saying let's go for it let's go for it i can do this i can do this i'm just i'm just terrified inside you know i'm just in acting you're supposed to be present you're supposed to be present in the scene with the other person and I couldn't do that because I couldn't even be with myself. Mm. And so I'm showing up to acting classes. I'm high on pills. I, you know, I'd smoked, you know, weed showing up to class. And the acting coach is going, are you on something? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, and it was just a, a <laughs> very self-serving, lonely, dark uh, time of my life. And I didn't know how bad I was. And my wife, I, God bless her we're still married and um, i'm so grateful for her but she stuck with me through it 
Um, it just, you know, it's a, it's a lonely disease, as you know. Um, but on the surface, everything looked great. Nobody knew any of this stuff was going on. But on the surface, I ended up uh, getting, I ended up getting on NCIS, worked on ER, uh, worked on JAG way back, <clears throat> way back. Uh, oh, I remember JAG. My, that's like my dad's get, favorite show. So <laughs> JAG, um, Dukes of Hazard. It was in Dukes of Hazard, uh, the beginning, which was kind of a prequel to Dukes of Hazard with um, uh, Johnny Knoxville and Jessica Simpson and and, yeah, yeah. and film. But I got to you know hang. I'm hanging out on set with Willie Nelson and and. Then, uh, then I then I land the role in Superbad. I got a I got a scene in Superbad with Jonah Hill, where I run past him on a track and just curse at him as I'm as I'm running by, and that's you know just all feeding the ego. Here I am oh, hanging God. out, with, oh, sure. hanging out with Seth Rogen, going to the after party and with Seth Rogen and, and these guys, and just thinking I'm I got it all made. Everything's just been handed to me my whole life, pretty much, and I haven't had to really work for anything, and. I get to the pinnacle at the end of 2008. I reach the top, my friend. I get to the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kid doesn't want to go to right. Hollywood? That's it. Have a bank account and party at the Playboy Mansion. I'm there. I'm taking shots with Adam Sandler. We got Bruce Willis and Emma Stone and Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher and like the whole that weird weird clan I mean, was all- what's that like what's all that like oh my gosh so cool <laughs> i mean because so you see it growing up man you see you know you see people like leonardo dicaprio going over there and you see you see folks you know playing the pinball game in the game room and you see people in the grotto in the pool you're like oh man if i could just get there if i could just get there i'd be set yeah yeah here we are. I'm there, and I was on top of the world. I mean, it could not have gone, gotten any better. And not a couple weeks after that, it could not have gotten any worse. Yeah, yeah. It just came all came crashing down. So I mentioned my brother a little while ago. Uh, my best friend. He he had struggled with addiction. Uh, for years, and we didn't talk about it as a family, you know, growing up with the the Southern Baptist thing, and and the, you know, having that, hey, we're better than you. I yeah. I have, and I'm not saying this about my parents. If my mom or dad are listening to this, n- nothing about what you did, but I had an attitude of I'm better than you because my grandfather is friends with Billy Graham. Well, okay. and that's a Southern thing too. Like we uh we told my grandma that that I was at college for like seven years when I was at rehab, so. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, you exactly. know, so oh, it's he's not just you. School. He's in school. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what's, so, what's he doing down there? Yeah. So we didn't want the family to know that my brother was struggling, and he was brilliant. I mean, freaking smart as smart as could be. Uh, got he, he got his MBA from Georgetown in D.C. and was uh, worked in New York and and uh, overseas and worked in Boston and Dallas and L.A. and all these places. By the time he was thirty-two years old, I mean, this guy was brilliant. Oh wow. And, he was struggling in New York and with cocaine and my dad goes and gets him out and brings him home to San Antonio to kind of dry him out. And of course we didn't get him in treatment cause that would look bad. We don't want yeah. people to treatment. That would look bad. Right. That's for drug addicts. Yeah. That's for the weird people. That's for the people who can't, mm-hmm. can't keep it together. So, um, I'm out in LA and I said, dude, why don't you come to LA? Not that it's any better on the drug scene, but at least, at least you're close to family. <clears throat> 
So, and it's, you know, the sun, it's a slower pace of life than the East Coast. So he said, all right. So he gets a job, lands a job in, in Beverly Hills, and he's renting a room at a, at a house in Beverly Hills. And he comes out, and he sobers up for like a year and a half. He was going to AA meetings. He was, you know, working with his therapist. He was doing um, all the right things. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, he, uh, he went to a wedding in um, Canada in, like, Toronto, and he, he called his girlfriend and said, hey, I'm drinking. I just want to let you know I'm, I'm drinking with the guys in, in the limo. Just let you know. She goes, okay, thanks for letting me know. Just be safe. And by all accounts from, from what they say, they said he was actually the most sober person of the night. But it, it broke the seal. For a year and a half, he been sober. He drank once. It broke the seal. Two weeks later, I get a call that he didn't show up for work. And so – Oh, man. Um, I drive seven miles over Mulholland Drive. I'm, I'm driving over to uh, Beverly Glen, over the hills, into Beverly Hills, and I go to his house and knock on the door. His roommate lets me in. I'm like, hey, man, his car's there. Hey, have you seen Matt? No, man, we haven't seen him. We had the party here this weekend, but he was supposed to be here, but he, wasn't, he didn't show up. Really? Okay, all right. Girlfriend hadn't seen him all weekend. She went by, knocked on his door uh, to his bedroom. It was locked, and she was like, you know, did he leave town? Was he hooking up with some girl? What's going on? She slid a note under the door going, I don't know what, what your deal is, but you better come out. <laughs> I'm going to find you. And it just, it just wasn't adding up. Something wasn't adding up. And so I go to his room, and I, and I go in, and I check the door, and it's locked like I had anticipated, and I call his cell phone. And I hear it ring. Mm. It's on the other side of the door. Cell phone rings. He doesn't pick up. <clears throat> so the only thing I knew to do was kick the door open, man. So I took my prosthetic leg, this trauma that had been building up and it had caused me so much pain for all these years. And I kicked my way through that door and the door flew open. And I found my brother lying uh, face down, dead from an overdose. And um, he had been there three days, man. He died on a Friday night, and I found him on a on a Monday night. And this was two weeks after he started drinking again. Yep. Yeah. It's <clears throat> all it took. It's all Sorry it took. to hear that, man. Sorry to hear that for sure. So, man, thanks, dude. But you know, I mean, that's that's what that's, that's what the reality happens of with it. the disease. If you don't yeah. get treatment, if you don't get, that's if exactly you don't treat, what happens. If you don't treat cancer. You don't treat diabetes. You don't treat heart disease. It is progressive and it kills you. So if you're dealing with somebody who's struggling with addiction, they're not a bad person. They are a person who is sick and they need help. And, um, so we've got to be more, more open. And so of course, of course, uh, so what I did is I grabbed a bottle of vodka before, <laughs> as I walked downstairs before I call my parents, cause I got to yeah, call absolutely. my parents. Then, then you got to start thinking, crap, I got to call mom and dad. Uh, oh my gosh. What, how's this going to go? You know, and it's just a freaking nightmare. I've already been through enough, man. I've been through 25 surgeries. Uh, you know, this is just, I did not sign up for this, man. I did not sign up for all this crap. So I was not prepared for life, dealing with life on life's terms. And so I grabbed a bottle of vodka and swigged um, a couple chugs before I called my folks and uh, told them to sit down and, and said, I just found Matt and he's dead. And so what did we do for the next couple of years? We didn't talk about it. We didn't tell anybody what really happened. We told people it was a heart thing. Told people, yeah. We said, you know, no, no, no. Let's just tell people it's a heart thing. And that was, 
I didn't that work. That is some family denial right there. Holy shit. Man. Yes. Yes. And then I felt guilty going against my parents because that's, yeah. that's what they wanted to do. And so I was like, all right, I, I've got to buy, you know, it's my parents. I got to do what they say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And here I am drink here i am move my family to we get out of la we got to leave all that behind us move you know do the the geographical change we have a firstborn son out there um uh my son was my firstborn was a was a year old and he was at the house when i found my brother he was there in the car seat with my, my wife was downstairs when that happened and so we you know get the get the kid out of la and we're not raising our kids here we moved to nashville to just kind of a neutral spot um in between our families, my wife's from Chicago, I'm from Texas, so we kind of decided someplace in the middle, and we moved here, and I got in with Dave Ramsey, circling back around to, to the begin, beginning of our call here, is circling back, I, <clears throat> I get in with Dave Ramsey, thinking this would be a good environment for me to, to settle, settle into, and, um, and, and really uh, start a career, and had, had really high hopes, and it did not, <laughs> it did not work out that way. Um, I was in bad shape. And so when I finally get called into to Dave's office and, and get fired, oh man, I finally just said, I can't, I can't play this raid. This raid is, I, I gotta, I gotta get some help. This thing's not working. Killed my brother. He didn't, we didn't talk about it. Killed him. I'm not talking about it. It's going to kill me. And I got a kid, actually two kids. I had two kids at the time. And so I finally just said, all right, I got to get some help. So that started July 2011, started, started my road to recovery. And it has been um, – the hardest part of my journey has been really since that point moving forward, having to deal with all the, the wreckage and having to deal with all the emotional stuff. Yep. But here's the cool part is all those years, that decade of me being solo and doing it alone was so much – heavier i felt so heavy i felt like this weight just constantly i felt like under this black cloud constantly but in recovery i found that one it was hard it was hard work but i was able to do it and yeah. it because i had help and when you when you finally get that sense of impending doom off your back like oh. that's that's the thing really like when i still that's the thing i just think every day that i i wake up without that just or you know when you just come to and just like uh here we go again what do i you know who do i owe what, <laughs> what do i have what to lie about? lie about yeah yes. yeah 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 who did i tell what to who do i owe who money I tell to, what to? Ugh. Yeah. yeah what bills did i not pay what did i avoid yesterday that i now oh let me let me put something in my system just to yeah. just to get out of bed the worst Yes. The oh worst. gosh. You know what the worst you know what the worst is? Is the birds. The birds chirping when you're in your addiction. Oh yeah. And you you know, you've been up all night and all of a sudden the sun starts coming up and the birds are and you're just like, Shut the heck yeah. up. What are you so happy about? Why? Why are you awake? And now, man, it's a whole different way of life. Now birds chirp and it's like oh thank you god for that breath thank you for that for that gift right yeah so um i would say in my recovery man it has been 
I thought that it was going to be this like God thing where you turn your life over to God and you become a Christian, you know, when you become a Christian, you say, yes, I believe that that Jesus, that God sent Jesus down the cross for my sins and everything's just going to be removed and everything's fine. Yep. But, um, you still have to maintain a daily personal connection with God to be able to live a um, fruitful life that he has called me to live. And I always thought it was something from the outside could help me do that. Or I always thought, I always thought um, I didn't have to put in work for that to just kind of happen. It was like, well, I, yes, yeah, I believe in God. And I, I admit that in my heart. And I was baptized by my grandfather when I was 10 years old at his church. So I had it all but together. I had the Holy spirit should do all the heavy lifting. I had all the answers like, yeah. God, just do it. Yeah. But recovery and working in 12 steps helped me break that down and help break down a concept of God that wasn't working for me anymore. This like figure in the sky in my head, it was like this guy with a beard and a staff in the clouds and a, on a throne that was, uh, yeah. And well, well, mine, I, I was so into the, uh, once saved, always saved thing. I really, I, and I, I took us, I asked all my pastor friends, which must've been extremely weird for them in retrospect, but I was like, okay, so like, it's like, seriously, can, why can't, can I just commit suicide and go to heaven? Like, is that like some loophole that hasn't been discovered? Like, Valid seems, question. yeah, I, I was like, really? I was like, cause I'm just, I'm done. Like, this is it. Like I, I had a bunch of conversations with my, with my poor mother Hey Miriam, um, about like, Hey, you, you just need to get ready. Like I'm probably going to kill myself. Um, really? Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it was just, it was so constantly bad. And then all the times I would almost die on top of that. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, thank God he didn't let me die at those times. Um, but yeah, my, I, I had a very legalistic, view that i'm still shaking yeah um, that is tough to break man and uh, and all it's tough to break it's almost better if you didn't believe in anything my friends that yeah that like were converted later in life are so much better off than i they're, am they're so much freer yes yes the constraints of this oh, dude it's awful of the religion uh mm-hmm. just held me in bondage and for people that 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 works for i applaud you go do that but for me oh it'll kill me i had to really just um open my heart my mind and and to a whole new concept of god that was radically different than what i was brought up to believe and lo and behold if you do certain things every single day you can stay sober if you pray every single day like they say (laughs) if you you know do some devotionals if you do some service work if i you know do some what? simple simple task every single day oh my gosh god just was there any like people or books or anything that really like influenced your uh reconstruction yeah man so i'm in this treatment center one of the treatment centers i went to <clears throat> i call it rehab for big boys and it was for like chronic relapsers and it was one of it was one of the best and most terrifying uh, experiences of my life but they set you down and it's here in Tennessee and they set you down it was an all is that what it's called rehab for big boys 
No. Okay. <laughs> How would you market that? <laughs> All right. Y'all come on over here to Tennessee. Yeah, rehab we we got boys. rehab for big boys. Come on out. No, but man, I show up and it's in it's in this tiny little town of Lobelville, Tennessee. It's this podunk town with, I mean, no Walmart, no nothing. They got an AA meeting down the road where they're smoking in the AA meeting. Nice this little community house. I mean, this is old school, and this is this was uh, four or five years ago, so it's not that long ago. But they uh, they sit you down and they do the twelve. It's twelve step focus. And you have to do steps one through seven before you can, before they let you go, pretty much. And step one was in the it's this Narcotics Anonymous book, and it's I don't know the name of it, but if anybody's it's uh, it's a workbook, Narcotics Anonymous workbook uh, of the twelve steps. And step one is about sixty eight or seventy questions, and so you have to fill you you fill these out you know throughout the uh, you know couple, first couple of weeks you're there you kind of settle in you start filling out the and you, when it's your turn to present, you sit in front of the group in a chair, and the guys are around you. There's about 12 to 15 guys, and there's a table in the middle of the room, this round room, and there's a snake, this stuffed rattlesnake, just with his fangs looking at you. And the counselor's <laughs> on the backside of that snake. And they just say, all right, go. What's number one? All right, you read number one, you answer it. Okay, number two, you read it, answer it. Number three, read it, answer it. And you start digging in, you start getting deeper, start taking, you know, go through the layers. And the guys start picking up. First, the counselor starts chiming in, and then the other guys start chiming in. They're going, "Hey, thirty-six, you said this, and on now we're on forty-two, and you're saying this. What the hell are you lying about? And why are you lying?" It's like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, "You do you not see the inconsistencies?" I'm like, "No." They're like, "You're freaking lying to yourself." And so what ends up happening? Long story short, is I lied to myself for so long I didn't know I was lying to myself. It oh, was yeah. that was my truth. My truth was no, no. This is this is what I've been through. This is my perspective. They're like, that's not the re- that's not reality. And so they basically pull your soul out and they hold it out in front of you and they say, this is what you're looking at. This is what we're talking about. This is this is where some areas that you need to uh, seriously consider. Look, you know, digging in deeper. And until you look at that, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the help that you need. And here's an example: is on step two, I started answering. I was like halfway through. I was on question thirty something. And I answered some question, and the counselor just threw his book down. He goes, John, I'm going to tell you this because nobody out there is going to tell you this. But all you are in your addiction when, when you let your addiction rule your life is a crippled effing drunk. Damn. You're a crippled effing drunk. That's it. Bottom line. You're about to be buried next to your brother. Damn. Yeah. Hit you with some truth. And until you come to terms with that, you're going to keep going back out. And it was like... What are you? Do you know who my grandpa is? Yeah. I have phone numbers in my phone. I can call David Spade if I need to <laughs> have access that's, to people. That's what's funny. I think the thing, the last thing, um, my last counselor, the thing he said to me that I was finally like, oh, damn. He was like, look, I told him my whole story. I've been to 18 treatment centers. He was like, look, man, uh, if you decide to relapse again you need to uh save up enough money to go to amsterdam go to needle park and just shoot up until you die he's like that's like you need to leave your family alone just go over there do what you want to do and then die and i was like whoa (laughs) he's like because there's nothing else for you it's powerful man i know and it was right it was exactly right yeah 
So, you know, God put people, you know, uh, along my path and in, in, in my journey that helped, helped me see things that I couldn't see. And that treatment center was one of them. That experience was one of them. And, and another one was a guy, Tommy, there. A guy, Tommy, at that treatment center, man. He, he helped uh, expo- open my mind to a new concept of God. Because he goes, he goes, man, my God, and he described, uh, it's, I think it's from Pulp Fiction. He goes, my God carries a wallet with a chain on it that says bad, bad motherfucker on it. <laughs> I was like, what? Is that? I mean, this can, is like. Can NAS- you say that? I, and this guy, Tommy, he's like NASCAR hat. He's got like NASCAR clothes and NASCAR hat. And he's got this like, he kind of looks like Tommy boy. And he's just like this jovial, you know. And here he, here's this guy going, my God carries around a wallet. It says, you know. And I go, what? You can't do that. God doesn't do that. But it really opened my mind to going, who am I to judge who his God is? Yeah. What does that say about me? I'm the one with the problem. I don't have to agree with it, but I need to allow him the space to, uh, to, to believe what he wants to believe and not judge him. Because the God that I was taught to, to believe in doesn't judge people. That, you know what, you let them make their decisions and, and let them be judged by God, not by me. And so that really, that, that was a, a turning, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Damn, yeah, I think I needed to hear that too. That was good. It helped set into motion of going, man, you know what, dude, just lighten up a little bit. Lighten up. Yeah. Open your mind, open your heart, and let the God of the universe that created all this stuff flow into you. And quit being so judgmental and get out of your freaking head. Yeah, because it's so funny for, yeah, because they're, the 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 hyper religious managed to put God in a very very tiny pointy box. Like, yes, it's like it's, and it's so and I, that was my thing. That was my big beef with AA for the longest time. I was like, God, as you understand him, excuse me. Like, <laughs> and I would go back and tell my that was how I got out of a bunch of treatment centers. I was like, there is a cult. They're teaching this false yeah stuff. And then it finally a doorknob. God, yeah. I was like, what are, what are y'all talking about? And I think it, fin- it finally was like this time again, a bunch of stuff finally clicked. It was like, okay, I-, I say I'm this Christian. I say I believe, but like my life shows none of that. Yes. None of that. And these people are showing, showing it. Showing it. It's <laughs> like, in the rooms, man. It, it hurt. I was like, am I even a Christian? Like, really? I was like, I, am I, do I have any fruit, really, that's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a really rude awakening. The hardest thing was to go into those rooms, go into the rooms of AA and go in, you know, in these basements of this dirty old church and go, man, I'm, I'm on this level now because my ego was like, no, man, that's for other people. Right. Need, it's like, I, I, to, I know theology you know, and y'all, y'all are about to tell me about God. Like, give me a break. I went to Baylor, man. Well, yeah. we, we had a chapel. <laughs> I went to chapel forum for two semesters and I took religion class and here I am in an AA meeting getting closer to God than I've ever been in my entire life in a, yep. a 12 step meeting group. And, um, so I'll tell you what, man, it is, it has been a crazy journey. And then once God starts, once, once you turn it, turn it over, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. It's an hourly yeah, thing, yeah. a constant thing. So what I found is I can't just be sober John in the basement of a 12 step meeting. Because I, I tried that when I did that, but then I had to go back into the real world. Then I, I, I was just, I was just two-faced. You know, it was like, yes, I could be real for an hour a day, 
But then the rest of the time I had to live in this like fear of they're going to find out about me. They're going to know. Mm-hmm. And so I finally, we finally just started putting it out there with my wife and I just started like blogging about it. We started putting our story out there. We started a website, Mabry living and just started doing these silly little videos. And we just started kind of sharing our story a little bit, kind of dipping our toe in the water. And once we started doing that, started getting some positive feedback. People started coming out of the wood. Yeah, that's when it gets crazy. Then it's like, you know what? Maybe I should go work in the maybe. So I went. So my last relapse was a little over a couple of years ago, and I went to um, addiction campuses facility, and it just it changed everything. It was it, it wasn't the I tell I say this all the time. It wasn't the zipline courses or the cooking classes or the art therapy it was the people it was the staff yes and it was the it was the it was the heart of compassion that our staff runs runs with uh runs the organization with from the ceo down and i was on one of our campuses and i felt it from every single employee and as i'm sitting there on this campus i'm going where am i this is there's something different in the water here at addiction campuses than anywhere else that i've been what is it the staff actually cares about me. And if they, yep. if I told them I needed to throw a ball against a wall for an hour a day to stay sober, they would write that into my plan. All right, John gets to throw, you know, a racquetball against a wall for an hour a day. That, okay, we'll do that. They tailored, you know, they tailored my treatment. They, a lot of treatment centers say they're going to do that, but then you get there and, they, and then it's a cookie cutter thing. But yeah. our treatment center didn't do that. And so, Anyway, long story short, I was just floored by the organization and the care that I got there, that I walked in with a resume. I said, look, man, I've been a part of projects that have been seen globally around the world. I'm an inventor. I invented a prosthetic sock that, that manages sweat inside the prosthetic for people um, that's distributed around the world. I've been a part of some really, really cool projects, but I said, this is the thing that I want to invest the, you know, the, rest of, the rest of my time in that I, uh, that I have here. And so I walked in with a resume. They hired me on the spot and I've been here for two years and I have a podcast and I get to go into companies and do drug-free workplace training and I get to share my story and I get to talk to awesome people like you and life is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is, man. It's a trip. Uh, My friends always said like getting sober is like the most psychedelic thing ever. It is. It is. And it's good. That's why I love doing this and the podcast is as much like for me as it is for people I meet, but it's like, it it reminds me and it it brings me back. And that's why I became a counselor too, because the, I I have like five counselors, a couple of them I still keep in touch with that just changed my life. Like stuff they said that I just would not be here or the same without them. And I was like, I want to do that for people. Like that's not in a lot of fields. You really actually get to, potentially alter like you know yeah thousands of lives it's very cool yes man <clears throat> so i'm just uh the luckiest guy to be able to live at home now I'm, I'm not living in in the trailer that i lived in for a while um it's just a it's a and it's not easy man it's not easy Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's it's a grind, man. We got we got health problems on so, several family members right now, and that's that's you know weighing on our family, and um, it, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And, yeah, and, and it's we possible. Get the, we get the we get to be there for it, which is something we couldn't always say. You know what? Hey, can I say this? Yeah. So in the past, it's always been about me and my family and, and my turmoil, my trauma. Right now, so my father in law is in the hospital. He had a stroke last week. 
and my wife left town. She left last weekend and uh, left me with the three with our three kids who are 10, seven, and almost four. To be able to be left at home with our children and be trusted for the first time for four nights was unbelievable. I can't I can't describe, and I'm I might tear up and I might start crying that I was trusted by my wife to, um, for her to be able to go tend to her mom and her sisters and her brother and her dad while he's in the worst, you know, health that he's ever been in is such a godsend. And so, um, if that gives anybody hope that man, if you're struggling today and you're not sure where to go and you need help, reach out for help. Um, it is possible. You can be called upon. You may be the the black sheep of the family right now. I, I was for so long but I'm, I'm not today. Now I get, now I get to be called upon to, to help out and, and to be, um, uh, be of service to my family. Awesome, John. Well, thanks a lot, buddy. So thank you, man. Any, any, any other questions or anything else? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, she is back. She's back today. Um, she'll be leaving again tomorrow. She keeps. You tell the conversation where she's gone. Yeah. So she. Your wife. Your wife, Kaylee. Yeah, she. Um. Got like three weeks worth of stand-in work in New Orleans for a new uh, NBC show that's coming out. She actually, so she is it the Ghost Whisperer? <laughs> no, it's not. Is it? It's a new. It's the funniest um, uh, IMDb description too. It's it's like it's like a, a dangerous love triangle evol- uh, evolves in old school New Orleans, and then it just throws in like where magic is real or something. <laughs> <laughs> So it's some kind of like grounded in reality love triangle plus w- wizards and, and witches. That's just, dude, forever is like, just add zombies in. It'll be great. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Just put in some vampires. It'll be fantastic. Have you, did, you get, did you give up on Walking Dead or have you still been watching? I gave up, dude. Me too. I did watch. I've been Which reading. Sucks, it does it's so suck, good. dude. Well, I, I, I'll probably binge it when it drops on Netflix. Right, like so, I've been reading the plot synopsis synopses of the last episodes, and then I I watched synopsis I I watched last week, and it's so they're getting a new showrunner next season, so that Scott Gimble dude's fucking leaving finally. 
It's just been trash. It just dude. got so boring. It's dude. boring. It's trash. It's just like, you know, what did it for me? What was the season premiere? Um, the gun, when... the gunfight thing. The quote-unquote gunfight when Rick shows up and uh, everybody's just standing out there and they yeah, all have it should have been over right then. In the face yeah, it's so dumb, dude. Yeah, it's like don't. I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I may be coming off of antidepressant medicines, but even I know <laughs> she should have shot every single one of them. I don't know what day of the week it is, but I do know. Right. right. I'm not entirely sure that I am real, but. i'm not sure if we're in the matrix or not right but so i'm I'm about to switch over to a whole new i bought um my friend i'll call him out because he's he needs to fucking hurry up i bought ethan's old gaming pc so i'm about to switch over to a whole new rig uh for the show he's not here but he needs to listen because like he hadn't finished setting it all up so it's it's, Uh... it's aggravating yeah. Okay. Okay. I. 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 Um. What else has been going on? I don't know, dude. You tell me. I. I a really lot. have not been. I've just been working a lot. Um. Just cool. Yeah. Oh. Oh no! I already did. Yeah, we did talk about that. Um. Yeah, I'll say Oh my it. god, I got into a theological debate with a stranger in uh, the Barnes & Noble Starbucks. Really? Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah, do tell. It was actually really simple. We So I was talking to my buddy. We were talking about work stuff, which is boring. And then this lady, like three seats down, she's like, hey, were you talking about marketing? Because I'm blah, blah, blah. And so we get into this conversation about work. And we, and we talk, and my buddy leaves, and I'm still talking to this lady. Um, and then somehow it turned into, I said something like, yeah, I don't want to this, I don't want to be weird or whatever, but this, you know, it's a total God thing. And she's like, are you a Christian? (laughs) And I was like, uh, yeah. She's like, me too. And then we had, and then we just got into like, she's like, oh, what church do you go to? And then we went down that rabbit hole. Um, and then we got into a debate over hell not really a debate, a discussion about hell and about um, substitutional atonement and like, oh lord, dude, it was crazy with some random with a stranger. That's crazy. That is stranger. crazy. She was actually really cool and had completely opposite beliefs. She's very like typical American ev- evangelical Christian, right? Um, but it's real. So like almost opposite beliefs for me. Um, but really cool about it. So, but it was interesting. I'd never had that happen before. Um, so she was, she was tolerant drink. of your, so it was civil for sure. Yeah. 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 It was totally civil. What was funny was I talked about, uh, meditation and she's like, yeah, you could probably find like Christian mindfulness meditation. And I was like, Oh God, again, <laughs> yeah, this, this keeps happening to me. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll. Yeah, I've got other stuff. I'll save it for later, though. Um, save it. I do have an interesting today. I learned though. Today I learned. Today I today I learned. I love that everything that we do is to the tune of step by step. Yeah, we should really rename the podcast um, "Step by Step" and "Church" and other drugs. We should rename the podcast 
Hey AJ, hurry the fuck up and give us a jingle already. Oh, that's true. It's about you got to be you got time break, to you, bitch. you got time to text me and stuff and like ask how my day is going, but you what can't do work for me for free. I see how it is. Do work. Do work. All right. In 1985, a drug smuggler jettisoned 40 kilos, which is roughly 76 pounds of cocaine, from his airplane over Georgia's Chattahoochee Natural National Forest. A black bear found and ate all of the cocaine and died oh of, an, of an inconceivably massive overdose. <laughs> the best part is, guess oh what? Lord. Guess what they nicknamed that bear? What? Pablo Escobar. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's little bear heart just exploded. Yeah. Well, it's big bear heart. That's crazy. It ate all that blow? That's yeah. incredible. 76 pounds. Why would it keep eating it after like a bite? You know, that's a good question. So either... Eat cocaine. Either um, it was like, oh shit, I'm hyped. This feels good. Keep going. Or he just ate it in like three bites. Like, I don't know what it was packed in. Any way that you pack 76 pounds of cocaine is a lot. I don't know. You can compact. I mean, like, for example, have you... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. No, I know you can, but, like, think about, and I'm showing, but, like, I can't imagine you can get a Brit, like, a pound at, at least would be, like... How many this. pounds is one kilo? Like, three-fourths? Or is it less than a pound or more? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Google that shit. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah. It, it, that's a yeah, lot. Yeah, you're of probably them. right. That is a lot. That is a lot. Um, congregation, if any of you uh, have any experience with 70 pounds of cocaine or 76 pounds of cocaine and, and what that looks like, uh, drop us a line. If any of you have eaten 76 pounds of cocaine and lived to tell the story. If any of you know Pablo Escobar, we'd like to interview him. Um, yeah so um tune in next week we're gonna have bible questions with kenzie um yeah, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. so you will probably still have time if you can get me an email or a message in by tuesday this coming tuesday um email us church and other drugs at gmail.com for bible questions thanks guys and, and uh I'm gonna need everybody to pray for me that that for for healing for my brain. Don't listen to oh, John. Pray a hedge of protection around your brain. Yeah. And your consciousness and your uh, concept of reality in this trying time. In this season. Can I offer you an egg during these trying times? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Later, y'all. Later.
Why, 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 why